Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's anacorteschristian.church. That's A-N-A-C-O-R-T-E-S Christian.church. You can also visit our website if you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or if you'd like to get in contact with us. We would love to hear from you. So, whether you're sitting, driving, or exercising, thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into the Bible together. We have been going through the book of Joshua for the last couple weeks. And so if you're new here, uh, we are kind of going right through. And we're in chapter 3 this week. And this is a book that is all about um, what God did in history with the people of Israel, his people, and really how that kind of points forward um, to Jesus and, and how that actually applies to us today. So let's go ahead. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. Otherwise, you can watch the screen there. And let's read Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried across by the Levitical priests, Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about five-eighths of a mile or one kilometer. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, and they may, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe a man, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of The Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. 
and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap from very far away. At Adam, at the city beside Zarethan, it's about 20 miles north of where they were. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, or the dead sea, were completely cut off. And the people pass over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray. God, this is your word. And I pray that it would speak to our hearts today. Open our minds, open our hearts to receive it. There is a, a beautiful picture here of your wonders, but the wonder is you cause dry ground to appear out of the chaotic waters. And Lord, whatever that looks like in our lives right now, we pray we would attach ourselves, bind ourselves to you and your wonders, and that we would see you do these things in our lives, but more that we would trust in what you have done ultimately, through Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This chapter is a really significant part of the story of the people of Israel. They, in fact, the author takes two chapters. We'll read next, uh, chapter four next week. Continues this section of just crossing the Jordan. And when you consider how fast-paced some of the book of Joshua moves, it's really slowing down here. And there's a number of reasons for that. It's because it is a really um, defining moment in the identity of the people. Not to mention that it's a huge event. I don't know about you, but I had seen like Veggie Tales or I've seen illustrations in Sunday school of the crossing of the Jordan. And, and usually it's like kind of narrow, you know, and there's like the ark with the people in there and there's just a line of, of people going through. But you think about this, like, the waters ceased like 20 miles upriver from where they were. And actually, it's, a, it's an area where the banks are known to collapse into the river and cause it to stop flowing. So maybe that's what God did here. He timed things just right. And the river ceases to flow all the way down to the Dead Sea. That is a large amount of mileage. And you see how like they had this kilometer on either side of the ark as they're crossing. And so this is just like, this is a huge um, event. This is the flood stage of the river in the harvest season, which the river would go from about 100 feet across to about a mile across. And because that meant some of it was shallower, it's probably flowing faster and more turbulent. All the normal fords were inaccessible. So this is a wondrous thing that's happening here. It's also significant because it's, it marks a transition in the life of God's people from one major event to another one, from a new, into a new era, from 40 years in the wilderness 
to now crossing into their inheritance in a new era. He says, you have not passed this way before. And that's significant because they've spent a lot of time passing every other which way in the area that they were, right? They're going into the unknown. Like, uh, you know, Frozen 2, as Elsa put it well in Frozen 2, I'm afraid of what I'll, let's see, I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown, right? I promised some people I would say it today. Um, and it's also being, there's a contrast here and a comparison between this event and the Red Sea. And we hear about that one a lot. We don't hear as much about the crossing of the Jordan, but we hear about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And what's interesting about it is that similar events happen, but in reverse order. So in the Red Sea, 10 plagues, God conquers Israel's enemies, Egypt. Then they celebrate Passover, and then they cross the sea. And in the middle, there's this wilderness period. And that wilderness time is where the people are being formed as a people. They're being formed as a people. So they go through, God proposes to them, gives them a covenant. Do you want to be my people, my representatives to all the nations? Yes, they say. He gives them the law. They're tested. They're crafted. They fail. They succeed. They're refined. They're formed as a nation so that what comes out on the other side is very different from who went in. And now, this is the first time Israel is actually called a nation. As soon as they cross the Jordan, this is the first place where Israel is technically now called a nation. God had said, if you keep my covenant and my commands, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, this is the first time the word is actually used to define them. They are coming into their own. They are coming to their identity as a people. And so just as God had defeated the enemies, celebrate Passover, cross the river, and now they're formed in the desert, now, reverse order, cross the river, celebrate Passover, and God defeats the enemies. So it's like a big sandwich, and right in the middle, the bulk of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is the wilderness, the formation of the people. And this is significant primarily because in many ways this points forward to Jesus. So that's a bit of a spoiler alert. But Jesus also starts out going through the waters. He gets baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit comes down and anoints him as God's messianic king and God's son. He then goes into the wilderness where he's tested for 40 days like Israel's 40 years. He comes out, he calls 12 apostles to himself like the 12 tribes of Israel. And then ultimately Jesus finally passes through the ultimate waters of death and resurrection at Passover when Passover is celebrated. And he now invites anyone who would give allegiance to him to follow him through the waters as well into resurrection life, new life. So now death itself, not just the Jordan and not just the enemy tribes of Israel, but death itself is not the end. And that means that just as the crossing of the waters was an identity forming moment for Israel, and a sign for them that God was going to do, uh, he was going to establish them and remove the hostile nations, so too Jesus' resurrection and death is an identity-forming moment for us. 
and a sign for us that God is establishing you, if you're in Christ, as his people and preserving you through the waters of chaos and death into resurrection and life. Waters in the Bible are often spoken of as the chaotic forces that are hostile to God, hostile to life, hostile to creation, whereas dry land appearing, starting all the way back in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, you know, darkness was over the surface of the waters. There's this watery, chaotic abyss. God speaks, and out of the waters he brings dry land, spaces emerge. And then on days four through six, life fills those spaces. Dry land is the opposite of the waters, and it speaks of a place where life can flourish and exist. In fact, Psalm 74 speaks of the creation in very um, mythological terms. It says, but God is my king from long ago. He brings salvation on the earth. What does salvation look like? Destroying the waters and bringing out dry land. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave it as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. So, here again, in Joshua, we have God doing something with waters. And he says it's a sign The sign of the waters is the guarantee for Israel that they will indeed possess the land. He says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out all the hostile nations. So he's not just um, causing the waters to cease for its own sake, for the sake of a miracle. And he's not even doing it just so they can cross. He says, this is a sign so that you'll know that I will indeed establish you among the nations, they're like waters, and you're like the people being brought into dry land. In the same way, Jesus' death and resurrection is the equivalent sign that Jesus has parted the waters of death and chaos for us so that we too can emerge as God's people who will in fact inherit his kingdom. Our vision statement as a church is transforming lifeless spaces into life-giving places through Jesus. Transforming lifeless spaces, the watery chaos that we find in our world, into life-giving places, dry land where life can flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our role. That's what he calls us to. So today, we live in a world that is marked by a lot of chaos. We've seen a lot of chaos this year as the things that we kind of assumed were foundational were stripped out from under us, whether that was our health or people we loved, whether that was the governmental structures that we had come to take for granted, whether that was um, our jobs. You know, there's a lot of chaos that, that is being Oh, up, you know, upheaval, overturned here, right? Maybe for you, a relationship going south marks chaos or a financial crisis or any way that we lose control or lose position or prominence in our family or in the workplace. Chaos is all around us. 
And what the text seems to want to point out over and over again is that the Ark of the Covenant goes before you. Seventeen times in these two chapters, the author points to the Ark. The Ark goes before you. The Lord of all the earth will cause the waters to cease. He is the Lord of all the earth. He can do that. And he does it as a sign so that you will believe that the Lord of all the earth can establish you as his own on dry land. So, what does he require of us? One, acknowledge. Acknowledge that we don't really know where we're going on our own. We don't know how to manage this chaos on our own. The river's in flood stage over a mile wide. You need to get through, but you don't know how, and you don't know what's on the other side. Two, consecrate yourself to the Lord of all the earth and trust his wonders. And three, follow the ark. Follow the ark. So I want to explore each of these in turn a bit. So number one, acknowledge you don't know where you're going. When I lived in Alaska, I grew up in Alaska, in Ketchikan, Alaska. And actually, first let me ask a question. Have any of you ever taken a cruise up the Inside Passage? Show of hands here. Have you, any of you ever been to my hometown, Ketchikan? Ketchikan? Yes, yeah. Colleen's got double hands because she too is from Ketchikan. We have, uh, a, you know, a kinship there. It's pretty cool. Um, so, so when I grew up there, tourism wasn't very big initially. They had like, you know, cruise ships here and there. But then after the main industry, the, the pulp mill collapsed, um, the economy, you know, that was shut down, collapsed, tourism took off. And so uh, they built a huge section of docks all over town and um, tourist stores, curio shops, restaurants, you name it, and it just became this, this big tourism thing, and people started coming. And so, at, you know, in my junior high, high school years, you started seeing more and more cruise ships, and now they've got like mega cruise ships, and now there's like five or six a day sometimes in the summer. This summer there will be none, um, unfortunately. And uh, that, that hurts, <laughs> that hurts people up there. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, every morning, 10 to 18,000 people just flood into Ketchikan, Alaska. And so here's where this is tricky. There's a street downtown. It's the main street. It's the road that goes like from the north end of town all the way to the south end of town, you know, and, and it goes along and there's this one corner. It's like a 90 degree corner and it's right there on that dock. And so what people began to realize is that this is right where people just sort of empty out into the streets and, and this becomes a major dangerous congestion area because here's this corner and there's like people just sort of spilling out like they're in Disneyland, you know, looking around and, and cars are stopping, they're sort of honking their horns and people are like eagles, they're taking pictures of the sky and you know, the, and this, everything just stops. And so since then they built like a multi-million dollar bypass, they carved it out of the mountain in the top because this street is seriously that big of an issue. And, and, um, and so they're like, okay, this is a safety concern. Let's rope it off. And they get these big like marine grade ropes and they barricade off the entire corner all the way around on, until you get to the crosswalks on either side. Did that solve the problem? No. <laughs> 
People come around, they look around, oh, there's this store over there I want to get to, and they start you know, climbing over the, I might be offending some of you who've done this. That's why I wanted to see the show of hands, because you are the reason why I've never taken a cruise, <laughs> because I do not want to be a tourist in someone else's eyes um, for this purpose. No, I'm just picking on you. Um, <laughs> so they put signs up. No, it doesn't stop anything. So about my sophomore, junior year of high school, the police department began to hire crossing guards. Okay, and so there's about six crossing guards on this corner, and they put on these orange vests, and they've got stop signs, and they get out there, and you've got, you know, two for each set of crosswalks, and they can, you know, every once in a while walk out with the stop sign, and the people follow, and they can cross. And they've got two in the middle to make sure no one crosses the ropes. And this is what's comical is that, does this solve the problem? No. <laughs> and so for several summers, I was working in like a gift shop nearby. And all day long, I could hear the whistles blowing. All day long. And the people would get more and more intense as they lose patience. And they're just, who are these people, you know? And these are younger people. You can't fault them too much, the, the, the crossing guards. But pretty soon they're just getting angry. So you hear this whistle blow and just like, crosswalk, you know? And they're just like screaming at people to obey the, the, the crossing guards, you know? And so do you know where you're going? No. You know, you really don't, right? They didn't know where they were going. They think they do. But, as the scripture says, you've never been this way before. And they proved it. A lot of times they, I saw one guy get yelled at and he so, you know, offended by these crossing guards. And he step over and he kicks the ground and he says, I hate Canada. <laughs> the most common question that we would get if you're out on the dock, I kid you not, every day, walk out of a cruise ship on a dock and ask, what sea level are we at? <laughs> 10, 15 feet, you know, depending on the tide. Yeah, how much does it cost to mail? Or do you take American money? <laughs> Every once in a while you even get the lady thinking it's Alaska, or the guy, or whatever, in, in, you know, Alaska, snow, cold, igloos. And so they walk out in southeast Alaska, which is a lot more like Anacortes, really a little bit more rainy, and they, you know, 70 degrees, fur parka, you know. I mean, they're just, they're, they're ready. And every once in a while, you even get the question, like, where are the igloos and the polar bears? And, the... and so, do you know where you're going? <laughs> But if you choose to pay attention, do a little research, look at the signs, the ropes, the bright neon and orange yellow vests of the crossing guards, that is if you consecrate yourself, submit yourself to the process, to the law, to its purposes, you will get across the sea of cars that are trying to get through there, right? Go to the crosswalk where the guard is standing with a stop sign. He will go before you. He will stop the traffic, and you can follow. It's simple, but it's not so simple. 
You see, when chaos rears its ugly head, we think we want to where we want to go, we instinctively panic and we try to take control. We try to control the flood by our own wits, our own strength. We're kind of like those tourists climbing over the ropes, not realizing that our, our pride, the thing that we think is supposed to uphold our dignity, really kind of makes us look like lemmings, you know, about to jump over a cliff. Um, this is what we do, and the world is full of chaos. Ultimately, it'll have what it thinks is the last word. Death will ultimately catch up with us all at some point. God offers to establish you in his kingdom and to give life. The first step is to acknowledge, I've never been this way before. I can't control it, and I can't, in my own strength, get to the other side. So that was the first step. The second step is consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself to his wonders. It says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The word consecrate, in this case what they would do is to set themselves apart, to make themselves holy. They would wash their clothes, they would go through a period of abstinence, and it's a way of acknowledging the holiness of God. Prepare yourselves. And I want to make a note here, to be ritually unclean in this time wasn't like a sin in and of itself. But to be close to God's presence, there couldn't be any uncleanness. And so they had to consecrate themselves. But the idea of consecration isn't just what you do ritually. It, why would they do this? Why would they do this? Well, because the word also means to dedicate, to set yourself apart, or to attach yourself to something. Because God's wonders are set apart. They are different, they are holy. They wouldn't be called wonders if they weren't wondrous, right? God is about to do wondrous things in the sense that they are beyond anyone's power, including your own, including my own. So attach yourself, dedicate yourself, consecrate yourself, commit yourself. Kids, our theme is commitment, right, this month. Commitment, right? Commit yourself to him, his power, his wonders and what he's gonna do, not what I'm gonna do. It's the tourists in Alaska deciding, I'm gonna get through this river of traffic by committing myself, what, to, to myself to what the signs say and allowing the crossing guard to go before me. They can stop the traffic, I probably shouldn't try to stop the traffic on my own. And as we've already said, the wonders God would do among them would be to cut off the wonders, the, the, the waters. And God tells them that the cutting off of the waters is itself a sign that the Lord of all the earth, who has the power to do that, who can cause dry land to emerge, also owns the nations and their lands and can establish his people as his inheritance, in their inheritance. Consecrate yourself to the wonders that God will do. But now, in Jesus, the sign is the resurrection. When confronting destructive chaos forces in my life, I can consecrate myself. I can attach myself not only to the hope of what God will do, but on the basis of what he has done. I can consecrate myself to what has been done. 
Jesus went through the turbulent waters of death, dried them up, and sits enthroned in the most secure position, dry land, enthroned as king over all creation. And Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, and you also, he's talking about us, if you're in Christ, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing, guaranteeing our inheritance, your establishment, your safety, your deliverance on dry land until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I have been included in Christ's people. I get to claim his victory now because of the gospel. Not, I hope God solves all my problems right now, but he's already defeated these problems. And no matter what they do to me, they can't separate me from his love and this truth, which guarantees my inheritance until the day that I take possession of it because I am God's possession. I am his redeemed. So consecrate yourself. Attach yourself. Commit yourself to God's wonders that cut off chaos and death. Not your own wonders. Not your own power. Not your own strength or false hopes. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, and I just want it to sort of like wash over you right now. Because through Jesus, what God says to Israel, to his people, Jacob, is applicable to you. He says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, like in the wilderness, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Consecrate yourself to that. Attach yourself to that. Set your life apart to that. Three, follow the ark. The ark, of course, was a gilded box containing the tablets of the law and manna and some other things, uh, Aaron's rod and stuff. It was, represented God's presence among the people. And so as the ark goes before the people, sitting enthroned on the ark, at least representatively, is God himself going before the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, like a crossing guard, but at risk of sounding trite, you know, um, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. And I love the fact that God is willing to enter the chaos first, to go before us, to hold the waters back, to be the bridge. Philippians 2, that Jesus Though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a status to be exploited and held over people. 
He didn't come expecting us to perform for him. No, he came and he went into the chaos. He emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, the lowliest form of humanity, even unto death, even in his obedience, death on a cross. So that now every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of his obedience to God, because he emptied himself, he's been exalted. He went through the waters first. He went through the waters before you. He doesn't simply ask you to take a leap of faith into the unknown. He goes before you and he makes a way. So that Romans 8 now can say this, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How will he not get you through to the other side? How will he not part the waters for you? How will he not establish you as his chosen people? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God right now and is interceding for us, for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Many waters. Mile wide, flood stage. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Follow the ark. Follow Jesus. We don't contend with the Jordan at flood stage. Jesus did. He invites us into the waters. He carries us through to his resurrection life. And so maybe a good like small group question or personal devotion question for you this week is kind of like, what does that look like for you today? As you face chaos in some form or maybe things are going real smooth and that's really deceptive because it gives you a false sense of control and security. But what does it look like to claim the sign that God has done as a victory that establishes you even in the midst of the chaos? What's that look like? So how do we get through? Acknowledge, I haven't been here before. I might think I can cross these ropes or this sea, but I don't know the way. Two, consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart to his wonders, his power, not my own, not your own. Three, follow the ark, follow Jesus. And lastly, that has one final implication for us. 
There were only one group of people, one tribe in Israel, who were allowed to go into the presence of God and to carry this ark in the first place. And that was the Levites, because they had been specially chosen to be able to come near as God's representatives and his servants. But now in Jesus, Jesus, Revelation says that you are, if you're in Christ, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so that means that for you, following the ark, following Jesus means that you bear God's presence and that you take it and you go into the waters. You go into the chaos. You put on the neon vest and the stop sign and march out there into traffic and call others to come as well. You are the bearer of God's presence and it's on us to be his ambassadors and to call the nations to himself, to beckon them through the waters. For Paul, that meant I'm filling up what was lacking in Christ's suffering in my own body for the sake of the church. That meant that when I suffer, I'm doing what Jesus did and I'm getting people through the river or across the street. And he he showed this when he wanted to set the slave free and send them back to the slave owner, the slave who had run away from the slave owner. And though the slave deserved punishment and death, Paul says to the slave owner, if he has any debt against you, put it on me. Let me go into the waters. Let me suffer in his place. Christians don't, don't just stand by and say, hey, if you're holy enough, better things will happen to you. Gosh. I guess God must be judging you because your life doesn't look like mine right now. No. We put on the neon vests and we step right into the turbulence with them, bearing God's presence and his hope. And we pull people along. We are his priests. With that, we're going to come to the table. Communion. So if you want to get the emblems ready, And before we do that, I'm going to just say um, a closing prayer. So would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for paving the way. Thank you for giving us stories like this, story after story of things you've done that illustrate for us what you're like, what you do, what you hope for for us, and what you desire for us as your beloved people. And Lord, maybe today we doubt because the foundations that we've trusted in get overturned. They get stripped away. Maybe we're not very hopeful right now. Maybe things are chaotic. I don't know. But God, I pray that right now we would just acknowledge this isn't something I can do on my own strength and you're not calling me to. And then to once again commit ourselves, consecrate ourselves, set aside uncleanness, Not in a ritual sense, but whatever that might look like for us, Lord. And commit ourselves to your work, your wonders, pointing back to the sign of Jesus' death and resurrection and exaltation, the gospel on which I have my hope that there's nothing that can separate me. You will bring me through. And Lord, lastly, let us follow Jesus. Let us follow the ark. Let us step in with that hope 
claiming your truth to get us to the other side. And now, God, let us also, as your priests, bear your presence in those waters and beckon others to follow. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us today and let you know that we love you and Jesus loves you. And you always have a place here at ACC. If you made a decision for Christ today or you just want to talk with someone, please don't hesitate to reach out. We have a really easy contact form you can fill out on our website or you can call us at 360-293-3729. We would love to talk with you. Go in peace and have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.